Hello, everyone, and welcome to 51% Institutional Crypto Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Shaughnessy. And as a reminder, please add your email on 51pct.io for all of our research. Today, I have on an extremely special guest, Andrew Keyes, the co-founder of Consensus Capital, and granted, he wears a lot of hats that he's going to tell us about. For those new to the space, Consensus is a blockchain giant uh, founded by Ethereum's co-founder, Joseph Lubin, with over... I think now 50 spokes building the future of Ethereum and blockchain. Andrew drives Consensus Capital, which is a constellation of entities that he's going to go into. Uh, with that, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So, Andrew, let's get started with what exactly is Consensus and what is Consensus Capital? As, as you said, is the brainchild of uh, Joseph Lubin who was one of the original founders of the Ethereum project. Uh, to put it succinctly, Consensus uh, operates under four main pillars. Uh, the first is product. Uh, the product side of the house is run in a venture studio model. Uh, and basically, it's full stack engineering. So at the bottom of that stack is the protocol layer, where we maintain and create, or we created and maintain three of the eight implementations of the Ethereum protocol. So the Java client, the .NET client, and the Haskell client. Above that, we build developer tools. So the most used smart contract uh, software development tool in the world is named Truffle. Uh, and we built that. Uh, the uh, And we also have other infrastructure tools such as Infura, which handles up to 9 billion requests per day to, uh, these days. Above that, we create open source standards. Uh, we're a founding member of the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance, and we've had input on things like the ERC-20 digital token standard, ERC-725, the non-fungible token standard, the reputation standards, the identity standards that are being created today. Uh, and it's our position that standards are really what proliferate uh, massive adoptions of technologies. Uh, those who are historians and understood, uh, understood how Java evolved uh, when Java became J2EE, Java 2 Enterprise Edition, uh, it was widely adopted because it had clean web API standards and clean database API standards. So, so we believe in, in the uh, standardization of software. And then above that, we have our application layer which is uh, driven in a venture studio model. Uh, venture studios are, are uh, some emblematic venture studios are Betaworks or Techstars or 500 startups, where we have a thesis around uh, blockchain technology being uh, the next substrate of, of, of essentially the internet. And uh, we believe that we can benefit from economies of scope and economies of scale. So an idea can become a project, a project can become a product, and that product can spin out to be a portfolio company. But at the same time, you have these thousand entrepreneurial engineering minded folks that all kind of work together in the same venture studio. So uh, they can all benefit and learn from each other. Uh, so that's really the product side of the house. The next side is uh, the enterprise and government consulting uh, side. So basically taking uh, use cases, elucidating a proof of concept and scaling that from proof of concepts into production systems. So our clients range from 
uh, Procter & Gamble, to Microsoft, to BHP Billiton, to Santander, to British Petroleum, to JP Morgan, to the Emirate of Dubai, where we're the blockchain advisor. Uh, we've also worked with the Monetary Authority of Singapore, a central bank. Uh, uh, we are the advisor to the European Union. So basically all of the countries within the European Union go to Brussels on a monthly basis and go to our blockchain laboratory where we build out proofs of concepts uh, and educate uh, the members of the EU on what this technology's implications are. Next, we have Consensus Academy, which is our educational uh, team uh, that, that not only tra trains engineers, uh, and we have curriculum specifically for engineers, but we also are going vertically specific uh, by subject matter experts. So for example, we have a continuing legal education class on what are smart contracts and what is the blockchain for lawyers. We have a uh, MBA program, we have a project manager program, and then we have vertical specific programs. So what are the implications of blockchains in supply chain, in finance, in healthcare? Uh, and then lastly is Consensus Capital, which is basically a constellation of financial services offerings and technologies, which we believe will compose the financial operating systems of tomorrow. Uh, when we get into the nuts and bolts of what this technology is, uh, there are radical paradigm shifts uh, in terms of what will a bank's functionality be? Because at its simplest, corest point, uh, many institutions uh, serve as trusted intermediaries, and this technology essentially commoditizes trust and intermediation. So with that said, uh, there are a few different uh, projects and products, but, but, but uh, briefly we have uh, our uh, token issuance um, team. So you can think of it as primary issuance uh, and that's token foundry in the consumer utility space and consensus digital securities in the security token space. We have consensus ventures, which is a venture arm uh, we have a consensus capital asset management and fund foundry, which are really working around software and financial offerings uh, in the asset management space. Uh, there is Trustology, which is institutional custodianship. Uh, uh, Drum G uh, is a new team uh, the, to the consensus family uh, working on OTC products. And there are a few other kind of underlying technologies like Balance, which serves as a accounting and financial reporting offering. Awesome, very uh, very deep overview there. Very helpful. You know, I don't think a lot of people are aware of all of the, you know, side ventures at Consensus that support the main spokes like Balance. That that makes a lot of sense. So, you know, you just brought up before we dive into the three main segments. I think you just brought up Trustology for the custodianship. Uh, we put out a deep dive on custody a few weeks ago. I think it's, you know, the main push for finance to enable ETFs, to enable traditional hedge fund involvement. But my take is that the market's waiting for a major bank to roll out and, and you know, isn't probably isn't gonna do business with the, with startups like Gemini or Coinbase. You know, what are you seeing here? Do you disagree? Um, and how big of a deal is custodianship to you? I completely agree with you, Tom. And I think that custodianship is the main gating factor to institutional adoption. Uh, interestingly, our lead at Trustology is a gentleman named Alex Batland. Prior to 
founding Trustology, Alex was the head of blockchain at UBS and the head of blockchain at BNY Mellon, the largest custodial bank in the world. And uh, I absolutely believe that the bulge brackets and the uh, custodial banks, such as BNY Mellon and State Street, uh, need to have this functionality. Uh, I also believe that they are legacy institutions that aren't probably the best place to create bleeding edge technology. So I am curious to see how uh, that plays out. Uh, we've heard rumblings from Nomura, from uh, Goldman, that they are indeed building custodianship. And, and really, uh, I am obviously a fan of Trustology, but I'm, I'm more of a fan of the uh, institutionalization of the sector. And uh, if Goldman does it or Nomura does it, you know, the more the merrier, uh, because it is absolutely a gating factor uh, for regulated institutions to be able to own these, these assets. Makes a lot of sense. Um, so let's dive into, you know, the first book you talk about, Consensus Ventures. Um, you know, what type of investments, if any, is Consensus Ventures making? Um, you know, what do you guys look for? You know, what kind of teams are you looking for? Um, and I'm always interested in, you know, how you guys value these things early on, you know, if you are or if you aren't. Sure. So uh, first and foremost, Consensus Ventures is being driven by a woman named Kavita Gupta. Uh, she came from Eric Schmidt, uh, the former chairman of Alphabet's family office. Uh, and uh, she is based out of San Francisco. And I would bifurcate Consensus Ventures into two uh, main activities uh, to date. One is the Venture Fund, and second is Tachyon. Uh, a Tachyon is uh, an article, or excuse me, an element that moves faster than the speed of light, which is an accelerator process. So first and foremost, on the venture fund, uh, we've, we've purposely kept it relatively open in terms of thesis, and uh, it's currently our internal capital only. Uh, the thesis has revolved around uh, further adoption and liquidity points. So, uh, and, and uh, decentralized applications that we believe are uh, best in breed. So, so a few examples of that. Um, one we have is uh, Rocket Pool, which is a staking uh, team. So as the Ethereum network goes from proof of work to proof of stake, uh, we believe that Rocket Pool was creating uh, the infrastructure uh, for best in class uh, staking. Uh, an another one uh, is uh, our, our thesis around exchanges about building the fiat to digital asset and digital asset to fiat gateways. Uh, one in particular uh, that, that I think is interesting is crypto markets. Uh, they are really the first digital asset exchange in Chile and, and, and one of uh, just a handful in Argentina and Brazil, and especially in places that suffer from hyperinflation, we, we are starting to see digital assets that are uh, essentially deflationary in nature uh, being uh, very, very important. Uh, and, and so we wanted to also be able to help uh, those on-ramps and off-ramps. Um, 
so so that's that's on the venture side and then in terms of the accelerator uh we have a class at tachyon um that's that's out of our san francisco office and there are 12 teams that go through a six-week uh program to essentially learn everything from smart contract creation uh to digital application architecture and and while this is happening uh they're charged with building in a minimal viable product and at the end of the tachyon accelerator uh that should be uh basically there will be a few winners and uh we are going to take this tachyon concept to really make very short concentrated sprints uh to prove concepts and and take this globally so the first one's in San Francisco, uh, and Kavita has done a great job of driving that, and uh, we'll be rolling that out into our other offices. Very interesting. So, you know, I get a lot of questions uh, from people in the space on Token Foundry. You know, the other spoke that you guys mentioned within Consensus Capital. Um, in, my, in my opinion, it's a huge deal. So Token Foundry is for purchasing vetted tokens. Um, you know, Civil's gotten a lot of press recently on being, you know, the decentralized journalism platform. Um, you know, what are you seeing through Token Foundry um, that we wouldn't be aware of? You know, is there is there huge demand um, sure. at Token Foundry? You know, how's it going over there? So, 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 before I dive into Token Foundry, I think it would be wise to speak about uh, an open source project named the Brooklyn Project uh, that 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 talks about kind of the regulatory aspects of these technologies. So. Uh, the Brooklyn Project uh, has sought out to create a consumer best practices revolving tokens and has sought out regulators like the SEC and the CFTC and has also formed kind of an educational branch uh, to help with policy and just really understanding what these digital tokens are. Uh, broadly speaking, there have been a taxonomy of tokens that have been created. Uh, primarily a payment system token, something like Bitcoin, uh, a consumer utility token, so a token that one would use similar to a legacy, you know, today's internet, a software license. Uh, and uh, what we would consider to be a security token, so something that, that, that looks, feels, smells like uh, equity. Uh, and with that being said, uh, we've had uh, some really thoughtful conversations around the world with people like the Financial Conduct Authority in the United Kingdom, the Monetary Authorities of Singapore and Hong Kong, uh, people at the SEC, uh, really starting to define what these tokens are and recognizing that all tokens are not created equal. So with that being said, uh, we do believe uh, that uh, we are in the first out of the first inning of the tokenization of all assets. And, and when we talk about the tokenization of all assets, uh, it's not just equity. So it's not just, you know, Apple stock. It, it can be Apple stock, but uh, it just as easily, it could be an app. Uh, it could be an electron on a solar panel. It could be a Beyonce concert ticket. It could be an American Express point. It could be milk. Uh, it could be a derivative. 
Uh, and, and really, th these global distributed ledgers, like Ethereum, uh, really make the case for the reduction of friction and the increase in fluidity of assets. Uh, so basically, we can move these assets around the world as easily as we can send emails. Uh, and with that being said, uh, we really bifurcate the, the world uh, in our mind into these two buckets, these consumer utility tokens and these security equity tokens. And Token Foundry is, is focused on consumer utility tokens and, and, and we'll use the example of Civil uh, to, to uh, kind of explain what that means. So, so, so whenever I think of a consumer utility token, I really, uh, the, the, the quickest analogy that comes to my brain is I, I think of it as like a software license. And uh, with the next generation of applications uh, for the next generation of the internet, uh, we find them to be decentralized. There's no middleman like eBay, Amazon, Facebook, Uber, et cetera. Uh, but now they become essentially cooperatives where the counterparties don't necessarily need that middleman to transact, to socialize, to, 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 to sell some, a good or a service. And, uh, but that being said, they do need uh, a, a software license to access the cooperative. And Civil uh, is a great uh, example of this newly formed cooperative where consumers can acquire uh, media from the press peer to peer without some sort of intermediary in the middle. In this fake news era, uh, what, what this will bring is peer review and, and actually the creation of reputation. And, and I think it's important to note that uh, this is a very important example of, of why we don't believe all digital assets or tokens are securities, uh, because that has become a, a recent debate, especially along the SAFT, uh, which is a standard agreement for future tokens, which is essentially an equity offering, offering uh, that, that we at the Brooklyn Project and Token Foundry are, are not huge fans of. Uh, the, the concept here is that a uh, purchaser of the news would be able to consume uh, news with a consumer utility token. And we wanted to ensure, ensure with the uh, civil token launch that all user, users of the tokens weren't necessarily accredited investors which would be the typical people that would be able to uh, participate in a, uh, a initial public offering. So we didn't want the news to solely be for people with $200,000 incomes or a million dollar net worth. So this really raise, raises good issues on, on understanding uh, what a consumer utility token is uh, in the context of creating peer-to-peer uh, environments that are driven through, through reputation and, and really the truth. That makes a lot of sense. And, and Andrew, what problems or hiccups have you seen, if any, with the civil token? You know, what have you learned that you didn't expect um, during the process? I, I believe it's still ongoing. So I think the, the, the I don't necessarily know that they have been problems, but I think we, we're, we're always constantly learning. Uh, one, one, one aspect was 
the pure education of people that, that may not be computer scientists to this new type of user experience. Uh, basically being able to purchase one of these consumer utility, utility tokens is a little bit more difficult, let's say, than purchasing a Microsoft Office soft, software license. Uh, and with that said, uh, you know, there was a bit of a difficult user experience where someone would have to acquire Ether for US dollar and then take the Ether and send it to this token sale. Uh, and uh, we, we, on the fly, were able to, uh, able to fix that user experience where people could pay directly with US dollars uh, for the simple token. So I think that's more on the software user experience side. I think more on the the uh, societal implication side is that uh, the the recognition that when we're not using these powerful existing legacy intermediaries, we're on our own. Uh, you know, lots of companies make a lot of money uh, in permeating fake news and permeating their slant of the news and so this new paradigm of peer-to-peer -peer news uh and, uh, and peer-to-peer -peer journalism um disintermediates many of those outlets so uh, uh and those are uh, essentially very powerful so it kind of it's been interesting to see who's our friend and who's our frenemy and who's our outright i guess enemy in the pervasive uh or, or in the in, in our effort to permeate real news yeah no, that makes a lot of sense and and just go just going back to token foundry for a second andrew i mean where is the um you know where are your competitors in the space you know how you know how do you guys deal with you know polymath and harbor um you know how do you guys stack up against them so uh, uh i think the, the, those are formidable competitors i think uh coinless could also be considered a competitor i think uh the, the token primary issuance model is evolving I think definitely in the bifurcation of consumer utility tokens versus security tokens. I think that uh, our, some of our key differentiation is uh, on our thinking around uh, the game game theory behind what consumer utility tokens can do, uh, as well as our uh, uh, our vast collaboration with regulators to ensure that. Uh, uh, we, we, we understand the implications of what is compliance in these consumer utility worlds versus the uh, security, security token worlds. So I think that that's where, where we shine. That makes a lot of sense. And just moving over, I know consensus capital, capital asset management, um, if that's still the correct name. Uh, you know, what's the focus of the unit and you know, how, how do you envision it growing and competing with, you know, the established giants, you know, is this going, is this going to be the black sure. rock of crypto or is it going to be Vanguard? You know, where does this play in? Sure. So, so, uh, uh, consensus capital asset management is a working name. So it, it may be the, the name formerly known as consensus capital asset management, kind of like formerly known as Prince, but, uh, <laughs> uh, right now, right now it's been bifurcated into two projects. One is called fund foundry. Uh, so you could consider consider Fund Foundry as the software layer and the uh, the, the the manager tool layer layer. So uh, we are working on uh, creating uh, the intersection of a, a uh, Bloomberg plus trading tools plus research uh, layer for uh, uh, managers to understand and basically have state of the art equipment. Uh, like they have for the legacy uh, 
uh, equities capital markets, for example. Um, and then the uh, CCAM, uh, uh, Consensus Capital Asset Management, um, is still under formation, but uh, will uh, is trending towards uh, a registered investment advisor. And seeing that that's not fully uh, completed yet, yet uh, I think that's kind of the best concept. But but, but basically, we would be creating uh, di digital uh, funds uh, that that are different compilations of of uh, digitized securities and digitized assets. Got it. That makes a lot of sense, Andrew. Now you know, just diving into you know more recent news, you know, Enterprise Ethereum Alliance and Hyperledger, I believe, just announced. Um, that they're going to be, be members on each other's boards. I, I believe it was this morning. Um, that seems like a pretty big deal in standard setting. You know, what do you, you know? What do you think about this, and how does it play into uh, your initiatives? Yeah. So I have tremendous respect for the, for the Hyperledger Foundation. Uh, so so for those uh, uninitiated, Hyperledger is the Linux Foundation's branch that uh, is specifically revolving around blockchain technology. And uh, within Hyperledger, you really can consider it a an, an umbrella for many different projects. So there is the Fabric Hyperledger project, primarily driven by, by IBM. Uh, there's Sawtooth Lake, which is primarily driven by uh, Intel. Uh, there is Burrow, which is, is an Ethereum virtual machine that was contributed uh, to uh, into into Hyperledger, and then there are a handful of other ones. And, and I think that it's great that prior to EEA uh, and Hyperledger being associate members on each other's uh, within each other's uh, respective organizations, that uh, there was already a, a implementation of Ethereum uh, in Hyperledger previously with Burrow. But what, what, what I would say is that uh, we believe that. Uh, Ethereum has the uh, potential to be, uh, if you will, the root chain or the sub the substrate for uh, many different blockchains uh, that can, can work as almost like a Supreme Court. And with that being said, uh, we believe that Ethereum needed almost its own open source initiative. Um, so it's not just one of many. Um, so, so we created the Enterprise Ethereum Alliance to uh, primarily create a reference architecture. Uh, and the reference architecture uh, is part of the Enterprise Ethereum specification. And it revolves around three core concepts. First uh, is configurable or pluggable consensus. So the ability to swap out of consensus algorithms uh, depending upon the environment that you're in. So if you're in a permission environment versus a permissionless environment. Uh, next was role-based access control. Uh, which is basically uh, enterprise permissioning. And the third was around privacy, uh, which was basically a, uh, the, the inclusion of zero knowledge proofs uh, and ZK Starks and other hardware uh, privacy uh, options. So uh, basically uh, joining each other's respective uh, boards as, as associate members, I, I think will continue to foster the adoption of what we believe to be essentially the stateful internet. And, and, and I think that this will only be a good thing for interoperability. And uh, I am positive uh, in the introduction of both endeavors. Excellent. Thanks, Andrew. And, 
you know, just more recently, you know, there's been a lot going on with Ethereum. Um, you know, we have Shasper, we have a, a fork coming at the end of October, um, and and the, and the testnet fork is going to be, you know, in a couple of days, maybe even in a week, I believe. I think it's October 11th. You know, I've been seeing just a ton of dev activity on Ethereum and and the projects linked to it. I mean, what is your sense of, you know, where we are? And it seems like we're gearing up for a lot of great product releases. Agreed. So, so I would consider 2018 in the blockchain years, the equivalent of 1994, uh, in the internet years when 96 was really the start of dial-up. Uh, we may be a little bit farther along, um, uh, but but I think what really is the gating factor in terms of permissionless blockchain are, are twofold: uh, scalability and privacy. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, the Ethereum core developers have combined uh, two of the major scalability upgrades. One, which is the transition from proof of stake named Casper. And the other is the concept of sharding, where essentially shards of the blockchain have to form consensus instead of the entire blockchain. And and, uh, basically, there was going to be an upgrade uh, solely uh, to proof of stake that would have happened a few months ago. But uh, for, for a few various reasons, uh, the foundation thought that uh, it would be more beneficial over the long run to slightly delay that and incorporate sharding as well. Hence the name Shasper, uh, which is sharding in Casper. And uh, I think that that will be kind of an aha moment and, and really the, the next, the beginning of what people are calling a 2.0, which uh, can serve to have unlimited transactional throughput and essentially unlimited scalability with the addition of layer two scalability options like Plasma. Um, I think that it's early days. Uh, I'm tremendously pleased at the developer activity uh, at the DAP layer. Uh, you know, broadly speaking, we as a society uh, in the first iteration of the internet we had a boom and bust from, I would, I would say, uh, 96 through to 2001. And really, uh, if you look at kind of the Apple App Store, which is you know the primary place for web applications today, uh, that activity really didn't even start until 2007. So you know we're talking about 11 years after dial-up. Uh, in the first year, there were maybe 100 apps. Then the next year, 2008, there were 1,000 apps. And then, and then we had this exponential growth curve on in, in the application layer. Uh, that being said, from 96 to 2005, 85% of dot .coms went to zero. And I think uh, there are really two uh, important uh, historical lessons, because history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it can rhyme. Uh, I, th- I think the difference here is even though uh, today we're not in a place where the, the internet fully scales, you know, the Apple App Store really happened 11 years after 1996, uh, and, and we had a much more robust internet. But, but right now, at uh, the blockchain, we're, we're still figuring out privacy. We're still figuring out scalability. But the application layer, we're building applications for protocols that don't even exist yet. So basically we're condensing that, uh, which I think is a, is a tremendously interesting and tremendously uh, powerful uh, way to observe 
kind of how humanity is evolving faster and faster and faster these exponential times. Uh, but but I think that uh, there there is somewhat of a gating factor for these applications to really work for the users, uh, you know, the user experience that we're used to um, in the traditional application landscape. And, and we're really not going to get there until we have these protocols uh, incorporate, uh, you know, unlimited scalability and, and very strong cryptography for encryption. That makes a lot of sense, Andrew. And, you know, there's obviously a lot of debate between different smart contract platforms. And I feel like a lot of people new to the space confuse the fact that, you know, you could have security on layer one or layer one and scale on layer two. You know, how important is this, is this point to you? You know, especially when you compare, you know, to EOS or, or to Bitcoin, you know, you don't have to compare to those. Um, but, you, you know, how important are these facts to you? I, I think the, I think the smart contract space is early. Uh, I think that uh, we should look at this uh, uh, the smart contract space as one layer in a stack. And there could be different smart contract protocol protocols that solve different uh, aspects. I think by far uh, the Ethereum ecosystem is, is responsible for, I would say, 85 to 95% of the developer activity, which I think is the most the most important part right now. Uh, I think that EOS uh, is, a, is a mess, frankly. Uh, I think it could be a uh, it could be a decent side chain or a layer two uh, uh, protocol, but but uh, I, I really don't see it. Uh, it's sacrificed decentralization. We're already seeing early aspects of collusion. Uh, I, I think that uh, it's frankly a mess. Um, but back to the stack, I think that we're going to have a decentralized smart contract layer, a decentralized file storage layer. Things like Swarm or, or the interplanetary file system are looking like strong contenders in that space. Uh, we'll have decentralized peer-to-peer -peer encrypted messaging, and then and then a mesh networking glue to 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 really create uh, this next next generation of the internet. Awesome, thanks, Andrew. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but it's worth asking because you've been around been around for so long. I mean, EOS clearly has you know a lot of problems on its plate to deal with. Um, you know, we'll see if they make it through that. But I'm just wondering. I mean. Did Ethereum have any, you know, similar problems, you know, not the DAO, but, you know, similar type dev or architecture problems early on that they worked through or, or was or was there a better architecture from the start? So, I mean, I think that uh, Ethereum has a limited 1.0 uh, runway uh, in, in how it's architected now, and that's what uh, the... Uh, the evolution to proof of stake, sharding, uh, uh, plasma, side chains like Loom Network, which is uh, already providing you know a, uh, exponential increase in transactional throughput. Um, but I think it was kind of the best uh, way forward, and I think that uh, it was always created uh, with a north star um, revolving around security decentralization and transactional throughput kind of those three three uh, considerations were the most important uh, and and I think that uh, there's evolutions to governance uh, I think that there's evolutions to all three of those of those specs I previously mentioned but but uh, that uh, uh, protocols that sacrifice 
governance, like what like what we're seeing in the early collusion uh, in EOS, things that sacrifice uh, decentralization in the solely twenty one uh, block producers uh, are 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 inherently flawed from inception. Got it. That's a very interesting. And so, just switching gears a little bit, Andrew. You know, you have incredible insight into what enterprises are doing. Um, you know, I, I believe at the beginning beginning of last year, there was a lot of interest in Kaleido. There's a lot of interest in uh, Microsoft's blockchain services with Work Workbench. Um, you know, and they were, you know, throwing out a lot of statistics on all of the activity and and the frameworks being used. You know, you know, what are you seeing from the enterprise side on on private blockchains? Are you seeing the interest? Or are you seeing testing? You know, how has it changed over the last year? So, so, so what I would say, uh, the analogy that I would use on private blockchains, uh, is there will be a, will be a place for them, uh, uh, just as there were places for intranets and, and kind of walled gardens, uh, in, in today's internet landscape. Uh, but we're seeing them really as being used as sandboxes for, uh, Proofs of concepts, uh, uh, while the internet or the next generation of this stateful internet of value uh, is uh, is being created. So uh, there are going to be use cases for permission blockchains, uh, and uh, many of the regulated institutions are are driving those out. But I do think that uh, there are uh, much more profound. disruptive evolutionary paths for uh, going from these permissioned intranets or private blockchains to permissionless blockchains. Uh, one example I can't fully explain is uh, a there there are both banks that are talking about that 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 really learned on permissioned versions of Ethereum like Quorum um, about issuing uh, securities uh, on the public, uh, Ethereum mainnet, uh, we, we've already seen the government of Austria use, uh, public Ethereum as a notary, uh, uh earlier this week. So, uh, uh, we're just getting on, uh, or starting to see those use cases blossom. And I think that there will be use cases, uh, for permission blockchains, but I think the critical mass, uh, will go to permissionless environments. Makes a lot of sense, and consensus has, you know, a huge expense, a huge footprint. You know, what are you hearing from, you know, regulators, or, or what is your take on, you know, how they'll eventually react and regulate, if anything, in the space? So I think most, more than anything, uh, the regulators are in learn mode, uh, and and I think that's great. I think that's a a, a wonderful place to to be. Uh, the, I, I'd say the hard part is the delta, uh, or the difference between a regulator who, who probably has never coded anything in his life and uh, leading edge financial technology uh, that that does have pretty deep technical ground. So so uh, imagine a uh, you know let's say under forty year old person explaining how. An asset can be digitized, parsed into unlimited uh, different pieces, and then sent around the world, um, basically seamlessly. Uh, their heads kind of spin, and 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 they and they don't even understand that that digital asset could be a barrel of oil, or a house, or or, or stock. 
So uh, I think there's a lot of learning going on right now. Uh, but I think that, again, we're in the first in of the next generation of the Internet. Makes a lot of sense. So, Andrew, just summing up, you know, Consensus Capital's entire focus here, I mean, two, three, five years down the line, if, if this is all wildly successful, you know, do you put the bankers out of business? Do you work with them? You know, what's the what's the decentralized finance landscape look like compared to traditional, uh, you know, five years from now? So I, I think that what we'll try to do over the next five, five years is really evolve what the financial services operating system looks like, whereby we co uh, commoditize uh, the concept of trust and the concept of intermediation from it having to be a third party that extracts tremendous amounts of value to trusted software. Uh, that could almost be open source, uh, which is free, uh, or, or, or drastically reduced in cost. And then what I think with all of the other buzzwords, the things like AI and machine learning, we increase the value up the stack. And maybe the, 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 the bankers of tomorrow are, are more, uh, are, are used more for their expertise rather than just for being a third-party trusted intermediary that, that, that intermediates between counterparts. Uh, you know, things like audit, audit uh, are, are great examples. Uh, you know, Planet Earth today runs on double entry accounting. And, and that was created in the 1600s by a monk. And basically, if I give you a dollar, there would be the credit in your books and the debit in my books for that dollar. And nothing really, uh, notarizes that, watermarks that, uh, 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 makes that transaction uh, immutable in history. Uh, now, we can introduce a simple notion of a blockchain uh, to be this immutable record of our transaction, uh, and, and my debit and your credit would be the two entries, and then we'd have a third entry, this immutable watermarking, an agreement of our uh, transaction and basically what we just did there by employing a blockchain was automate audit you know the Deloitte's the KPMG's the Ernst & Young's the PwC's get paid billions of dollars per year to, to simply you know figure out when did I give you the dollar or when did you send me the invoice uh, and if we can automate that and then and then have them work on more strategic aspects uh, in, a, in, a, in a corporation or a government or a nonprofit foundation's uh, financial record keeping uh, and, and basically commoditize those aspects so people and machines are working on more complex problems, I think that will net out very positively. Awesome. That makes a lot of sense, Andrew. And, you know, I don't, I don't want to get, get too into the specifics of, uh, you know, I, I just listened to Joe Lubin and Jimmy Song's debate um, on Laura Shin's podcast, I believe, I believe a few, uh, few days ago. And I don't want to get into the specifics of it, but, you know, are you seeing anybody or any entities come to consensus and say, you know, hey, we're going to leave you guys and build on Bitcoin instead, or we're going to leave and believe and build on EOS instead or NEO? I mean, are you guys seeing the trade-offs play out now and, and people coming and going, or, or what are you seeing there? So, so we're definitely not seeing that on Bitcoin. Uh, you know, Bitcoin uh, is, it was the opening act, uh, in my opinion. But uh, if you get into the weeds of the technical aspect, aspects, uh, the virtual machine uh, is not Turing complete. And therefore, uh, the only thing Bitcoin can really do 
is counterparty A sending counterparty B value and counterparty B sending that to counterparty C or counterparty A. Uh, it's really a, a transmission and storage of value mechanism. Uh, and, and really that was the core differentiator in uh, the uh, introduction of smart contracts and general purpose uh, blockchain. Now, in terms of other protocols, uh, we have seen different protocols uh, evolve, and there are, there are applications being built on other protocols. Uh, today, I, I, I would say 85 to 95% of uh, the technology we see at the application layer is being built on Ethereum. And uh, that may change, and, and that's fine. Uh, and and uh, I don't deny that there won't be uh, other protocols and, and the interaction of protocols. You know, I, I mentioned the other layers of the stack, like decentralized file storage and decentralized peer-to-peer messaging. Uh, but but I think that uh, if you if you look at look at this uh, as 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 a kind of an oligopolistic view, view I think they'll probably be you know less than 10 real protocols and then lots of applications built on those got it so it sounds like the the landscape is starting to shift from you know we already have these foundational smart contract platforms or blockchains however you want to term them and the the whole 2019 will basically be focused on scaling and decentralized applications um do you think we're going to see one or the other first or or um do you think that we'll need the scaling to enable these applications in 2019 I think the applications are being built uh, regardless, but for real robust software, it probably takes about 10 years um, to build uh, high quality enterprise industrial grade software. You know, Microsoft Office really took about 10 years before it was buggy free. Uh, and uh, that, that may expedite, but I, but I don't think you're going to see widespread user adoption without the type of user experience that we see in today's today's modern day applications. So, uh, you know, that type of throughput where you click on Uber and the car is there almost immediately. Uh, you're going to need that same type of user experience for the other 95% of the world that aren't nerds like you and me uh, that, that love this stuff just to see the evolution of technology. They're going to want it nice and simple, and I think you're going to need the the best in privacy and the best in transactional proof of proof up for that. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. So, just you know, one thing that I always like to think about, you know, crypto economics and and the governance features within tokens, and I'm sure you see a lot of that through Token Foundry. Um, you know, I just did a deep dive on Zero X, and you know, one of my theses was that as as the token gains more governance features, you know, the the token will hopefully gain more value. Um, you know, MakerDAO has a similar governance feature that, you know, you know, works very well. It's a beautifully designed system. You know, what are your thoughts on, you know, governance tokens um, or governance features within tokens? You know, do you think that's legit? It'll work? Um, or do you think like, you know, voting on, on tokens is all, you know, a sham? So I think that that governance in this wild west uh, uh, timing in our lives is a very complicated matter. And you can really uh, extract governance um, from the protocol layer. Uh, you know, there are different uh, experiences in, in different uh, in, the, in the protocols versus the application layer versus the corporation level, the, the corporate governance. Uh, and 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 I think that uh, 
this is the time for those theories to be hypothesized, tested, refuted, uh, proven wrong, proven right. And, and I think that we've, we've, we're, we've probably seen the first iteration of tokens, uh, some with governance, some without. Uh, and uh, time will tell, uh, but it is absolutely crucial aspects of any type of economy, any type of business, any type of protocol to flesh out governance. Uh, I would I would urge readers uh, that are interested to uh, to check out Vlad Zamfir's Governance 101 that w- that he posted on the Medium last week uh, that talks much more eloquently than I do on governance. I'm I'm a huge fan of Vlad. I got to get him on here at some point. But you know, just building on what you were spe- speaking about earlier with different protocols coming online. I mean. What do you view about, you know, potentially disruptive protocols coming online in the next year, like Definity? Uh, I'm not too versed on on the system, but my take is that, you know, even if a platform was killer, it would still take a significant, significant amount of time to attract the developer interest in communities that can't be, you know, simply forked away. Yeah, I would agree. So, so I would say that uh, 95% of my focus and effort uh, these days are on Ethereum. And I think that it is is by far the strongest uh, developer community. Uh, I think it's by far got the best roadmap for scalability and privacy. Uh, uh, and I think it's got a, a leader in Vitalik Buterin who is unlike any uh, person or, or software engineer or near computer scientist or scientist for that matter. I, I, I think he, he has potential to, to win a Nobel Prize in time. Um, so, so, so I might slightly be biased, but I've also spent uh, time understanding and learning and learning about uh, Definity, which I think will be a excellent blockchain. And, and I think this goes to uh, the points of where uh, there could be different use cases that serve different uh, blockchains. I think that one part of Definity that I think is very interesting is that it will be a WebAssembly virtual machine out the gate. I think, I think that Solidity has proven to be uh, slightly difficult um, in these early days, and I think WebAssembly will open up a huge network of developers to creating, creating smart contracts. Uh, and and uh, Ethereum is also uh, planning to evolve, to evolve from the Ethereum virtual machine to what they're calling an eWASM or Ethereum WebAssembly. But there's a lot of trans compilation work of compiling those smart contracts from what the EVM is to to to, to the WebAssembly. So so that's pretty difficult, uh, low in the weeds work. Uh, and, and I think that the, the, the beacon chains of randomness that Affinity has been uh, cre- creating are very interesting. Um, I also am a huge fan of uh, Wambanay and the interplanetary file system and the corroborating Filecoin uh, project. I think that uh, uh, decentralized file storage uh, uh, has far greater implications on how uh, societies conduct themselves than we think. Uh, I think there was a great example of where, where basically the government in Egypt uh, shut off the internet and, and, and there were uh, basically mass censoring of government documents and, 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 and just history where uh, if, if one creates an IPFS hash of the history or a file or of the assets, uh, it's immutably uh, recorded uh, for history, and 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 there are uh, you know new new 
paradigms that we're creating now that have implications for society. Super interesting, Andrew. Just a few few more wrap-up questions before we wrap up. I mean, stepping you know out of the technical weeds. I mean, what are your favorite use cases that you're seeing now? I mean, I know Congo. Uh, I might be pronouncing it wrong. Congo launched for trade finance. Yep. And Austria with the billion dollars bond uh, issuance on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, so, you know, so what can you point to here? I think my favorite, uh, which I believe to be a cornerstone of blockchain technology, is the notion of self-sovereign digital identity. Uh, we as a society probably take for granted that our digital identity is solely uh, held by intermediaries. You know, what, think about for, for the listeners, every, every time you go onto the internet, you're probably logging into Gmail or Facebook or Uber or Amazon or eBay or, uh, you know, the, the, a handful of middlemen that basically store and monetize our data. And, and with the creation of public permissionless blockchains like Ethereum, this is really the first time where the user uh, can be that self-centric uh, aspect holder of that data. And you can attach essentially attributes and attestations, which simply put our facts and opinions about yourself. An attribute could be something like your blood type. Attestation could be the equivalent of the five stars at the end of an Uber or a credit report or, or basically a rating of how you conducted yourself in some type of transactional uh, event in society. And from that self-sovereign browser, you know, the Tom Shaughnessy browser, uh, that's where you could uh, socialize or have commerce rather than through an intermediary like Facebook or Uber or eBay or Amazon that, that really provide the thin layer of trust, intermediation, and a payment system and reputation um, and extracts a tremendous amount of value. So from, from that self-sovereign uh, position, I believe that uh, uh, we could unlock uh, tremendous amounts of value that are typically held by intermediaries, and then and then the value will move to the counterparties of the transaction instead of sitting at this intermediary. Super interesting, Andrew. And you know, one of my last questions I always like to ask, you know, if everybody in crypto is listening, you know, what would you tell them? But I'd like to spin that around. I mean, you know, what is something that the majority of people in consensus would disagree with you on? Um, I'm always interested in that because you guys are all focused on, you know, pretty similar goals. I'm wondering if there's anything you think that might be uh, might be different. So, so I think that uh, consensus is interesting in, in it being kind of the largest collection of different uh, people that have different varying degrees on what de decentralization means to them. And uh, I'm all about the end state of radical uh, disintermediation. And but I'm probably, uh, you know, I'm probably a little bit older, and and and, uh, and I uh, can understand that we still have to interoperate with the legacy world. So I'm okay with going from, you know, a permission blockchain first for people to prove their concepts, and then nudging them right to. Uh, decentralized Ethereum versus uh, many of the younger uh, members of the teams uh, may may only view it. You know, you know, they, you know, they they, they grew up on sending Bitcoin to each other uh, instead of uh, using a bank, and 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 they only see it as radically decentralized, and and they say, well, you know, why would we even take that half step? 
Super interesting. Andrew, last question for you. Um, you know, what is 2019 uh, for crypto for you? You know, what, what is the year? What's the year ahead going to be for crypto? So, so I think that 2019 uh, will serve as the end of the third industrial revolution uh, in a certain sense and the beginning of the institutionalization of uh, the digital asset class and uh, really when we start seeing production grade uh, use cases go live. Uh, you know, 2017, 2018 had been lots of years of the proof of concept. Uh, every board of a Fortune 500 told their CTO that they needed a blockchain use case and some would be in pink and some would be in yellow because no one knew what a blockchain was. And, 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 and now uh, these proofs of concept, many of them have died, uh, but uh, we're going to see many go into production. Uh, I also think that 2019 uh, will be the delayed uh, finally coming to light of scalability. Uh, you know, we, 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 Ethereum probably thought, uh, you know, they, they, they thought that they would just do proof of stake, which would be kind of a half step. Um, in 2018, but the, with the, with the combination of proof of, of sharding and Casper, uh, uh, that's going to happen in 2019. Um, I do think that we're going to see really kind of the uh, uh, the emergence of really global uh, file storage layers. So things like Filecoin going live and, and the evolution of IPFS, and we will see the evolution of other uh, strong engineering teams. Uh, like Definity, come out with their, you know, 1.0 of their software, just like Ethereum did, you know, two or three years ago. Super interesting, Andrew. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time for being on the podcast. Anytime, Tom. Good luck with everything. Uh, I, you're one of my favorite analysts out in the space. Really thoughtful research. Uh, keep going. That means a lot, Andrew. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to 51% Institutional Crypto Podcast. Be sure to like and share the podcast with your friends and subscribe at 51pct.io.